Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Just shutting off all of this crazy equipment here. And um, yeah, we can't say, can we? It's a good morning because we're alive and we're well and everything is possible. And we know who's in charge. But we would be blind. We would be willfully blind and deaf to ignore the events of this past week in the country that we've been bequeathed, in the country that we love, in the country that we pray for each and every day. It's good to be together. It's always good to be together. Struggled with this week. I struggled like everyone. This is the upbeat show, right? The pep talk show. The what's good in the world show. Let's take that Jewish stuff and make it meaningful in our life show. And I struggled. Because last week, Erev Shabbos, after the show, I personally received very frightening information. The kind of information that had me walking into walls. Not certain. Not certain for a moment that I'd be able to sing Shabbos, Zmiros, beautiful songs at the table. That I'd be able to put a smile on my face when my husband returned from synagogue and I wished him Shabbat Shalom. Anybody from Israel, and I see you're with me this morning, you've had those mornings, you've had those evenings, you may be having that time today. And then something very miraculous happened. And you know this is a show. We are a people that we don't just believe in miracles. We are the embodiment of miracles. I was looking for some kind of chizok, some kind of strengthening on the Sabbath. And every week I receive a, um, it's a very beautiful, very lush uh, flyer put out by a certain organization filled with divrei Torahs, words of Torahs, um, having to do primarily with the week's Torah portion. And um, couldn't find it. Going around the house, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. And suddenly underneath a pile of old papers, I found it. And I lay on the couch on Shabbos afternoon, terrified. Instead of being immersed in the beauty and the warmth and the protective cocoon of the Sabbath, I was doing that thing that I always tell people not to do because I've been taught, you don't wish away the Shabbos. You don't think about turning on the news after the Sabbath. You don't think about when you're going to get your frozen yogurt after the Sabbath. You stay in the Sabbath. And I was trying to push away thoughts of what will I learn after the Sabbath. And I start reading through this weekly Torah magazine. And slowly, slowly, I am gaining my strength 
And I'm learning so much of what I needed to know before I entered the Sabbath to become more iron-clad, more steeled in my understanding and appreciation, deeper in my faith. It gave me everything I needed for the Sabbath to emerge from the Sabbath, the cocoon of God's blessed day with strength. So what's the miracle? It was only after the Sabbath, as I was cleaning up, I discovered that the magazine that I had read that week was actually from the week before and I had never looked at it. It was waiting for me all the time. Later, when I looked at that particular Last Sabbath magazine, I saw that it didn't really have those articles that I needed to be so strong, but only by accident, by happenstance, kismet, or indeed the hand that guides us all. I reached down and read the wrong magazine, which was exactly the right magazine. And so after Sabbath, I circled a bunch of things and I said, man, oh man, am I going to share it with you? So first of all, let's say good morning, good evening to our friends in the United States listening in. Boketov Eretz Israel. Ireland is with us today. Nice Bahamas. Again, nice to see you each week, Bahamas. Okay, I think that you're becoming as enamored with me as I'm becoming as enamored with you. The UK is with us today, Canada, and Guadeloupe. Good morning, Guadeloupe. Do some research. And Australia is with us this morning. Very, very nice. One of the things that I have um, when I work and I'm working with clients, I try to keep in the background, especially at this time, um, music. And I've been playing a lot of Baroque music, kind of eases my heart. But this week, for some reason on my algorithms, what came up? Irish folk music. So all week long, I've been playing just quiet, beautifully Irish folk music, and it really seems to have done the trick. All right. One thing I need, okay, we just take care of business a little bit. I realized last week, um, so first of all, let me repeat my email address. If you want to drop me a note, let me know some of the things that you're thinking about. Um, Write me a note. Let me know what you're holding, a little bit about yourself. I'd love to know more about the audience. We no longer have a chat room for very wise reasons. When the humor returns to our lives, I'll tell you what that's about. But um, drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Love hearing from you. And the most important part of that is very frequently I will make a, um, I will quote an article, a book, uh, something that I've read or something that I've heard. And you may want to know the actual source So everything on the show is sourced, even if I occasionally forget to mention that. So drop me a note and I will send you the actual source, the links to anything I speak about on this show. 
The other thing is, I realized only last week after I said goodbye, Shabbat Shalom, Mivorach, at the end, I forgot to mention this wonderful, um, I should look at it right now, hold on, this wonderful uh, WhatsApp news group that we, that I know that I listen to and has absolutely altered my life because ever since October 7th, as so many of you, we've been glued to the news. And in many cases, we are receiving myriad information, sound bites by people who do not care about us and do not love us and do not want for us. So I have been receiving wonderful three times a day from a group called Israel News Highlights. And what's wonderful is I don't have to check the news. It brings me all the news I need to know about this heinous conflict in which we find ourselves immersed. And it's three times a day. It pulls no punches. It is not sugar-coated. Gives you the facts. And if you would like to be included in their list, I have no vested interest I really don't know the holy souls behind this. I know that it's actually published in Hebrew. And what I receive is a superb tra uh, translation three times a day. So drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and I will send you the link. I'm not telling you the link online because it's a little bit of a complex link. And you can also receive the same information I receive. I hope I don't cough during this show. Um, recovering from the big C a while back, meaning COVID, the big COVID. Part of thinking about what we were going to share was, forgive me, just popped a sucking candy in there. Spent a lot of time this week at Sharei Tzedek Hospital. Shari Tzedek, the Gates of Righteousness. And I was there actually for a personal reason. I was there for um, exploring a little, little physical nudnikism that I'm going through and waiting for appointments, waiting to speak with the various professionals, weary, waiting to have scans done and electrical shocks to parts of my body. My gosh, sometimes it's better not to do the research before, but sometimes you should sort of know what you're stepping into. But that's neither here nor there. And I was looking at all of these people in the hospital, patients, those who love them, yearning for life, grabbing life. And I thought to myself, if I would let the naysayers tell us how terrible everything is. Is everybody in the hospital, whether having received a minor or a major diagnosis, are they all so stupid as to think that it's all fruitless? He who dies with the most toys wins. And I said, no, we know those of us who are participants in this glorious life that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us 
with such love, we know that there is a greater purpose, a greater reason for our existence. And that our job, the tafkid of our every waking moment is to be actively engaged in seeking that purpose. There are so many things that are out of our control. I mean, do I have to give you the laundry list? You can give me. I mean, what other people post online, what other people think. I can't alter the past. And as much makeup, face cream, and hours on the treadmill, my age is still my age. But nobody can take away from any of us what we think, what we say, what we believe in, where our values lie, how and with whom I spend my time. And not a small thing, not just what comes out of our mouths, but what goes into our mouths. And I say this now because these are very frightening times. Very frightening times. And although I think I can say with certainty that we win here in Israel, we win the scary time contest. But those of you living in the U.S., the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, South Africa, you ain't far behind. And I mention what we put in our mouths because I know, and it's not going to be a surprise, that when I'm eating well, when I'm eating deliberately, when I'm not eating or drinking my feelings, my fear, when I'm setting an example by how I maintain my health, I set an example for those who look to me, my children, my spouse, we have those controls. It's a big, big focus of where I'm holding now. What do you mean, Andrea? Our boys are dying. And you're talking about not eating sugar? Control what we can. Somebody Somebody posted recently, and I just loved this, you know, and I'm sharing with you. I don't know who needs to heed it, to hear it, but I certainly did. A, uh, a Facebook acquaintance, someone I know, she had mentioned to her friend that she is emotionally 
hitting a wall. And I know that I often have used that term. I say I'm walking into walls. That's what happened to me Erev Shabbos last week on the eve of Shabbat. I was walking into walls. And a friend said, you know, sometimes walls are there so we can lean on them and rest. I like that. Are any of you following Asita Kanko? Asita Kanko, she's a European member of parliament. Uh, I didn't have time before today's show, but I'm going to be talking more about her in the future. And you know what? Sometimes we have fair weather friends, and sometimes there are people not of our nation who seriously, seriously get it. And I tell you, that's a name to follow. Um, let's talk a little bit about Tu Bishvat. Not this morning, because this morning I was very busy preparing for the show. But as you know, almost every morning, almost every morning of my marriage, except for Thursday mornings preparing for the show, my husband and I sit on our outside patio. It's enclosed. It's enclosed in glass. We have a heater um, for these months, and we have our coffee together. And it's my husband, who is far wiser than I am any day of the week, who taught me about the beauty of sharing a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with the most special person in your life before you start the day. And somebody listening in may say, yeah, you know what? I've been with my spouse 40 years. I don't think we're the most special persons persons to one another anymore. Mm. You can make it happen. Rabbi Dessler and Mechtav Me'eliyahu would say, act what you want and you will be. But that little part is neither here nor there. We're having our coffee every morning. And sometimes we're quiet. There's really nothing to talk about. We've only gone to bed a few hours before. He watches something atrocious on television, and I fall into a deep, deep earplugged sleep. What's there to talk about? And in the weeks leading up to Tu Bishvat, the birthday of the trees, trees, trees need a birthday? we begin to notice that the trees outside our window, which look so forlorn, forlorn, so naked, so cold, the trees indeed look hopeless, more so this year than other years. And suddenly we see Middle of January? End of January? We see buds. There are buds on the trees. And this morning, as I'm preparing the show, he knows, Thursday morning, leave me alone. I'm in my cave. I'm in my pull-up-a-chair cave. But he could not help but burst through the door and say, Andrea, one of the buds is blooming. 
God wants us to live in a land without any facade. We live in a land that is stark in its truth. Our prayers that we pray every day, every Chodesh, every year during the specific relative Chagim holidays are based on the land of Israel. When we pray for dew, we pray for rain, we pray for sunny skies, we pray for vegetables that take root. We're only talking about the land of Israel. This is why Tu B'Shvat is prevalent. This land that does not lie will not permit us to forget what should be an obvious truth. No matter where we live, we are dependent upon God. Whether one lives in a cul-de-sac on Long Island, is shopping in an elaborate, temperature-controlled shopping center, mall, Hakenyon, we call it here. We can't be shielded from the rhythms of the natural world, despite the embarrassing phenomenon known as hothouse fruits and vegetables, those tasteless, those tasteless monstrosities that are available all year round, they attempt to separate us from the earth, indeed, from that which is holy. The fact remains that Israel is a country that from the beginning of time constantly reminds us of our dependence on Hashem. More than ever, this Tu B'Shvat, we are living that message indeed in real time. And so, from my enclosed glass patio, I can hear the fighter planes. And it's terribly overcast this morning. It's physically overcast. And there's an emotional overcast. And I'm searching for that glimmer of sun from my dark, cloud-filled skies, wiping away the rain from the glass. But when I look down at the tops of those bare trees that line the walkway, oh, my friends, there's no doubt the buds are there. Ronnie told me the full blooms are not far away. And as Tennessee Williams wrote, my favorite quote, the violets in the mountains have broken the rocks. You know, Rabbi Avigdor Miller, he was one of the last generation's really great Rebbe's. And he was known to take time to appreciate 
the awesomeness, the absolute, almost heart-stopping glory of nature. And he marveled at the intricate detail and unfathomable wisdom in the world that God made. He would say, look at this apple, so perfect, so sweet, so round. And he would say this before channeling that gratitude, that indeed, that awe into a bracha, into a blessing. It's not nature. But if we have no other word, go with it. But understand, nature is not there just to feed us. But it's supposed to inspire us. We're going through a period in Israel, indeed, of a long, long winter. We're experiencing times of darkness, times of coldness. It's a time of terrible isolation. Tubishvat's message is not to let that difficult, <coughs> seemingly bleakless, bleak time in our life to define us. Life is a cycle. Yes, some of us are in mourning this morning, but I must reiterate, spring is just around the corner and it's the Talmud that states Better times can come in the blink of an eye. We are witnessing this morning, we are witnessing the change, the transition from winter to spring. And Tubishva teaches us and builds our patience and more than anything must imbue and give us at least a half a teaspoon of patience and trust that not just good times but miraculous times lie ahead. But Andrea, where are you getting this from? Who am I? I'm nothing. I'm no one. I'm a bleak, a blip on the universe's what is it, blip on the universe's radar? That belief system indeed is an avera. It's a sin to see yourself as a blip on the radar screen. It was Rav Tzadik HaKohen Zatzal who said in his book, Tzidkat HaTzadik, What's the first belief? What is the first commandment? Doesn't tell us what to do. Is it indeed a commandment? Ani 
Hashem Elokecha. I am the Lord your God. That's a commandment? I am the Lord your God? The first belief is in God. If that is not your Aleph, if that is not A, on your inhale, exhale list, everything else, how do we say, everything else is, is, is subject to question. Once we know, we know that there is God, your next belief has to be in yourself. Not a blip, a gansa, a big, a large, broad-shouldered you. Because God created you and all of us, every one of us, for a unique purpose. Not one of us was created randomly on planet Earth. It was Rav Hutner, Zetzal. He would often note that although we don't struggle with um, classic idol worship these days, we're not going to go into that now, we do struggle with appreciating our self-worth. But if we could, just for a moment, recognize that inherent value of who we are as Selem Elohim, created in his image. His image of who we are at our maximum best. God has a hand, we have a hand. God has a voice, we have a voice. God has a plan, we have a plan. God's mission is divine. Our mission is divine. Once we celebrate that greatness in our personal world and beyond. Not only is this Shabbos, Shabbat called, Shabbat B'Shalach, It is Shabbat Shirim, the Sabbath of song. And you know, music has a profound influence on Jewish life. You know, we're speaking in very lofty terms, but if I may, anybody, anybody who has access to the internet today and there are so many platforms. I know there's Apple platforms, Spotify platforms, there's YouTube platforms, and I apologize to any uh, mega platform managers who I am leaving out. All you have to do is type in contemporary Jewish music, classic music, Jewish music, and have it pipe through your home throughout the day either loud or softly. And the nace, the miracle of how it will lift your spirits and deeply connect you to your Jewish core, 
and not just the you, but connect all of us, one another. As we stop listening to the music of strangers, but celebrate the kind of music that began even before we stepped foot in the Midbar, the desert. Everything from prayers to Sabbath celebrations and family gatherings, singing around the table, the Zmirot is intertwined. I remember when my first son was born, his father and his father and uncles, my ex-husband and his brothers, did something that our synagogue had never before seen. They sang Sephardic and primarily Afghani. Um, they were called Pituim. Beautiful celebratory songs. And everybody was inspired. You know, even when we just we just lit Hanukkah candles, it became a musical celebration. Music. It has the remarkable ability to hold our hearts through difficult times, to serve as a source of comfort for the soul. You know, Miriam Peretz, often referred to as the, the Ima of Israel, the mother of Israel. She's, she's, she's a remarkable educator, but she became the symbol of enormous strength when during a previous conflict, she lost not one, but two sons. And she often speaks about the role that music would play in her home, would lift her spirit, would change her personal tragedy into hope. Music. It's a force that breaks boundaries and connects our hearts to one another. And it offers, it offers great comfort in times of need. You know, one thing I, I was reminded of, we were leaving Egypt, grabbing, running, running for our lives. And Miriam, Moshe's sister, the sister of Moses. What does she grab? What does she grab? Not the family photo album. Not her engagement ring. Not her identity card. She grabbed a tambourine. Of all the things in the house, the most important thing to take in leaving Egypt is a tambourine. The message is that Miriam was able to foresee that there would come a day when Jews would celebrate, when Jews will sing. My friends, we must never lose that perspective. Okay. You know, I have so much weekly stuff, things from the newspapers, 
I have a lot of crapola, but I also have a lot of things that are inspiring and I just need to, I need to personally share my heart. As I expressed earlier, I entered the last Sabbath. This shows in very personal. Mm. How grateful we are for even a cup of hot tea. Not even, but wow. I was terrible, terrible fear last week. Paralyzing. I know friends from the States, my best friend Kay, has said to me, I don't, I, I don't know how. I don't know how you're doing it, how you're coping. How I'm coping? Try the mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and children and spouses of well over 500. Holy Chayalim, warriors for Israel. But it's not a contest. And I came across a discussion of fear. And this writer maintained that fear reflects a glaring lack of faith. Faith doesn't assert that every frightening situation is going to be resolved in our favor. And, and during periods of what we say, hester um, panim, the hiding of God's face, his presence, we're never assured of triumph. But what faith does assure us of is that there is a purpose to events, even to tragedy. This is hard stuff. This is hard stuff. But emunah shalema, complete and unwavering faith, does not allow us to take one from column A and one from column B, depending on its convenience. There's nothing that's random. And knowing, without question, that God deliberately orchestrates large-scale events has the, the potential to take that edge off of fear and provide, provide us with confidence that there is a divine meaning to all of this madness. You know, we'd be foolish not to be afraid of both our barbaric, sadistic enemies. I was looking for words. But our future is not uncertain. Today is uncertain. The fear on the battlefield is acute. But even we non-soldiers are struggling with fear, you know, overcoming fear and summoning, summoning bravery 
and telling ourselves and calling it the mitzvah that it is will indeed imbue us with courage. God expects courage, faith, prophecy, and selflessness can help us. One of the experiences, one of the experiences that I experienced this past week came on Motsi Shabbos, Saturday night, where I don't even know to say if I had the merit, I had the punishment, I had the reward of seeing real live battles in the refugee camp in Tulkaram. I must have seen seven or eight videos that were taped live from the GoPro, the camera that was attached to the helmet of a holy commander. And it's not a movie. I couldn't turn the channel. When I saw my husband and I were watching this on a home laptop computer, our fingers were digging into one another's thighs. What these boys are doing every day And one, you can't even say one misstep, one step to the right or step to the left can have ramifications beyond our comprehension. And it was then that I addressed the understanding of how frightened they must indeed be. But you know, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again and again and again. We come from royalty. Our being born Jews is not an accident of the cosmos. Today's the first show, show in a long time I haven't said what are you doing there? Why aren't you making Aliyah? Why aren't you coming? Don't worry. You won't be spared for long. But when I understand that every Jew listening in today, whether live or on podcast, or not listening to this show and getting their children ready for school, every living halachic Jew is a product of the mere 20% of slaves that were redeemed from the clutches of Mitzrayim, Egypt. Every one of us has a direct line back to the chosen of the chosen. We cannot ask the question, who am I? 
We are the children of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Heroic individuals that were the heads of families. But we are the students of Moshe, of Moses, the revered leader of our nation. You know, when we compare later generations with the earlier ones, I got this from Rabbi Weinreb. He wrote a few weeks ago, you know, we have to talk about the changed circumstances of later generations. We judge them just the way when we judge Noah and we say, well, was Noah really righteous or was he just righteous in his generation? We judge our heroes, our forefathers, not by the standards of those who came before them, but by their own circumstances. You know, I have often thought, and Rabbi Weinreb brought this out, I think I grew up, as so many of us, thinking about the Holocaust. Would I have survived? Could I have possibly survived? I truly truly doubt that I would have been able to remain alive in those conditions. And if I had remained alive, what about those who come out of it with faith, with commitment, who recreated families who continued, who picked up where they went, left off and began going to synagogue. I, I, I shudder. I certainly would have been an inferior product coming out of that experience. Because so many of us, life's experiences soften them. That is always my, that is always my, my, my charge when I think about those who are living in Galut, living in the diaspora, who know the right thing to do, but they've become soft by a soft existence. But we're talking about heroes who emerged from the Shoah having taken that experience and it strengthened them. You know, from this view, Moshe standing in front of God, confronting Hashem in defense of his people, he learned from those who came before him. Indeed, he actually learned from Avraham, who just very simply confronted God in defense of the people of Sodom. You know, we say about cars, we say about silverware, we say about building construction, they don't make it the way they used to. But you know, we still have an obligation to ask ourselves, or rather, 
to look back upon our sages and say, when will my deeds approach the deeds of my fathers? We have what to look upon. We have what to build upon. We have what to become more spiritual with. As Rabbi Weinreb wrote two, three weeks ago, we stand on the shoulders of long generations of giants and perhaps future generations will similarly look to us. Okay, today we were going to talk about the surge in registration for Jewish schools, the surge in people converting to Judaism. Have you ever? Who would have thought about it? It's incredible. Um, Donations of food from Malta's Knights, the Knights of Malta. Hmm. Okay. We're going to get down. We're going to get down. We're going to wind this down because we need to think about, we need to think about how we're going to lift our spirits this week and enter the Sabbath on a high and with a deep hand-holding relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be He. You know, <coughs> excuse me for this coughing. Again, write to me, andreatisraelnewstalkradio.com, and I will send you the link to the purest, most superb, scaled-down, targeted, news you need to know about what is going on in both Eretz Israel and the Jewish world at large. You can get off all the other crapo sites. You don't have to look to the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, the New York Times, God forbid CNN, and God help any of us if you're looking at Al Jazeera. Okay. I will send you the link and you will thank me um, for the rest of your lives. Okay. Bashalach, you know, the center, Rabbi Wine brings down that the centerpiece of this week's Torah portion is the great song, Sheer, the, the Sheer of Moses and the Jewish people. After that moment of deliverance from Paro and the flooding sea, you know, the abject, the unrestrained joy of the moment is still retained by so many generations. It's going to be hard in shul to sing this week. It's going to be hard to sing at the Sabbath table. But what makes this song unique is that there's no reference to human bravery. There's no, no, no illusion. No illusion? Uh, is that the word? To the courage of the Jewish people plunging into the sea. Not even a mention of the leadership of Moshe and Aaron, Moses and and Aaron, shepherding the Jewish people through the crisis. What is it? It's an entire poem. It's poetry. It's a song. It's a hymn of praise and appreciation dedicated to God. 
According to Rabbi Wine, God operates, in, in, so to speak, through human beings and world events. So often, has, you know, he has that hidden faith. His presence is hidden from our sight. Sometimes it's even willfully ignored in later victories and triumphs of the Jewish people and of Israel. It's that human element that helps fashion those victories and triumphs. That's acknowledged, celebrated, the War of 48, Independence, Six-Day War. But here, in the Song of Moshe and Yisrael, we have an acknowledgement <coughs> of God's great hand without, without giving it a byline. No human being, no natural social forces. That's what makes it so unique. You know, when we compare it to the Song of Devorah, Deborah, which forms this week's Haftorah, um, in that song, the prophetess, she assigns a great deal of credit to the armed forces of Israel, to the general Barak, and even to Deborah herself, a fact that doesn't escape notice of the rabbis in the Talmud. But there's no self-celebration in the song of Moshe and Israel at the Yam Suf, the Sea of Reeds. You know, it's completely keeping in character, of course, with Moshe, who's described in the Torah as the most humble, the humble of human beings. There's no question that without him, there wouldn't have been an exodus from Egypt. There wouldn't have been any salvation from, Eretz, from, from, from the shores of Yamsuf. But it would not have been our Moshe for him to take any credit at all. Indeed, the greatest leaders, the most gifted prophets, they get that championship leadership and prophecy by downplaying their role, the Pasha Pasha element. Moshe knows his greatness. He was modest, he was humble, but he wasn't in denial. He knows his relationship with Hashem. He's not so naive to think that he's just, I'm just a plain Joe, because in fact to do so would be a form of chutzpah, of nerve. From the beginning of his leadership career, when he attempts to refuse to become the leader of Israel, till his last days on earth, he holds on to that humility, which in fact allows him, it liberates him in order to be the strongest of leaders and the most courageous of all of the prophets. My God, if Moshe could see through the bleakness. What, what's our excuses? What are our excuses? This is why the song of Moshe and Israel, it's repeated daily in Jewish life. You know, it also appears that in this parsha, this Torah portion, it's filled 
if I'm going to leave us with anything today, what I need, this, we talk about chesed, kindness, acts of giving. What kind of acts of giving? The mana, you know, the man, the parting of the Red Sea, the waters of Mara, the bitter waters, everything that was performed by God for B'nai Yisrael, in spite of the fact that we just kept complaining and questioning God's ways. We made Moshe's life a living misery. How is it then that we were so worthy of the chesed that we received in this constant state of dissatisfaction, indeed, (coughs) intolerance. So one answer is given, I found this interesting, one answer is given by the Chafetz Chaim, who quotes the uh, Tanakh Divei Eliyahu, that when the Jews were in Egypt, they gathered together and made a pact to do chesed for each other. At the time of their enslavement, they searched for a way to be saved from the evil decrees of Paro. And this is when they decided to be kind in the hope that just as they did acts of loving kindness, so too God would reciprocate in kind and redeem them from this iron-clad enslavement. And we see that in the merit of chesed, it proved to be their ticket out of Egypt. The Chafetz Chaim adds that by doing chesed, we help bring about a redemption for all of our people, a lesson for all generations. You know, one of the many ways that B'nai Yisrael merited God's chesed was through the actions of Moshe. You know, in the middle of the story of the exodus from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, the Chumash, the five books, It recounts the additional concern of Moshe to gather up the remnants of Yosef, of of Joseph, in order to fulfill the promise. Yosef said, bury me, bury me in Egypt, in Israel. So this action on part of Moshe was considered, and actually it continues to be considered, one of the most important types of chesed, kindness, that one can possibly perform. What is, does anybody, you're listening in, we've all heard chesed shel emet. The, the highest form of chesed, it's when we accompany we accompany the dead to their final resting place. Why emet? Why truth? Because we can't really trust our acts of kindness. Maybe somewhere deep, deep down, we're looking for a little reciprocation. Somewhere I did for him, he'll do for me. Chesed shel emet. We're not looking forward to any kind of reimbursement or reciprocity. It was due to the chesed, the kindness, the goodness of B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, as well as the chesed of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what led to our freedom from Egypt. We say the following in our prayers every single day. And I'm going to change it to English. 
you have led in your chesed, the people who you have redeemed, you have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Consequently, if we perform chesed for each other, we should hope and pray that God will perform chesed for us. Just as B'nai Yisrael was redeemed from Galut, from the exile of Egypt, because of the chesed that they performed, we have the opportunity, my friends, today, not yesterday, today, that we should only live to see the coming of Moshiach, the Messiah, in our very near future, from the chesed that we should perform for each other speedily in our day. Let's be kind, look toward the light, and know who's in charge. Shabbat Shalom, umivorach from Jerusalem.